Queer Business Success, the podcast for LGBTQIA business owners, aspiring entrepreneurs, coaches, caregivers, and the allies who love our community. We tell the stories of why our businesses were formed, who we serve, our challenges and successes, and we offer sound advice to our fellow queer entrepreneurs. Our hope is to inspire, enlighten, and highlight the services that our LGBTQIA businesses and allies offer. If we can do this, so can you. We believe that we need more LGBTQIA business owners, not only for our community, but for a better world. Here's our host, Anne-Marie Zanza. This is Amory Zanzel, and welcome back to another episode of Queer Business Success. I am so excited to have Rachel Weinstock with me today. Rachel uses she, her, or they, them pronouns, and she they identify as queer. So Rachel has been a teen transformational coach, and, she, and they focus on mental health, bullying, and mindset. And they also support many LGBTQIA plus young people. They are an, an Amazon best-selling author with their book, Be Who You Needed. I love that name. In the category of inclusive education method, and they have been a teacher for over 20 years. Rachel just reached six figures this year with their business, and they are excited for expanding their impact and income. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you. It's now you don't look like you could have been a teacher for 20 years. You look like Yeah. So I actually just turned 44. Really? Uh, yeah. You look good. Yeah, I know, I'm turning 60. So I always wow. get I know I always get you don't look 60. And I think I mean, it's, it's kind of it's it's <laughs> a weird it's a weird thing. Like, you know, I always say thank you. But also, yeah, like, I don't know age and all of that is. Yeah, is, Should we be saying like, like, think about it. Like, it's like it's good to look younger, you know. So, I mean, I think we both do. That. I mean, everybody does that when somebody tells, you know, when you're younger, you want to look older, but when you're older, you want to look younger. And so, but that for some, I'd love to think about this and I have said this off air (laughs) (laughs) because we'll not be able to talk about you and your business. So tell me a little bit about your queer story, Rachel. Yeah. So I just remember being a child and being very aware of heteronormativity and the homophobia. And I mean, at the time, I just thought that I didn't even have the words homophobia. I just knew it wasn't okay to not be straight because that's, you know, I grew up in the 80s. So I remember, you know, being a little kid and having a crush on one of the girls in my class and then one of the boys when I was little and thinking to myself, okay, so as I grow, you know, and when I'm able to date people, I'll only date boys until I'm brave enough to date girls. Like I remember making myself a promise when I was little. So it took me until I was in my 20s. I was, you know, at a rave and I was talking with this girl and she came out to me and then, you know, I did what many people do, which is like, ew, that's disgusting. And then actually five minutes later, I was like, I think I might you know, be at the time I had the word for buy, you know? Mm-hmm. And so then, yeah, it was a process and mm-hmm. it always is a process, especially being more on somewhat of the fen presenting um, spectrum that 
Yeah, it's just been a process. And I feel like there's times where it's not safe. I feel scared. And I know, especially being in the States, like, you know, we're seeing so many things and we're seeing stuff in Canada as well. So that is kind of like some sometimes a difficult way to be totally out and feel safe and open. But for the most part, yeah, I mean, I have a partner. We walk around holding hands, um, you know, I in my book. So in I I have a copy that I can hold so I can show you if I need to show you anything because <laughs> I know it's behind me. But yeah, I talk about being queer in it, you know, and, and it's about how to create safe spaces for, for young people and also my own story of being bullied. But I know and it's it's really heartbreaking and wild and crazy to think about that my book would be banned in like many places in the world. And what I'm doing, the reason I wrote the book is because people have told me for, you know, over 20 years, we need more of you. We want to clone you. And I always say uh, thank you and no thank you to cloning. But what can I do to help support people to understand what I'm doing? And so I wrote a book. Mm -hmm. Crazy to think about that, you know, especially as a Jewish person and a queer Jewish person, that this book would not be allowed when it is doing life-saving work for young people. So I hope I answered, I'm neurodivergent, so I'm kind of all over the place. I hope I answered your question. Well, <laughs> yes, you did. So I'd like to talk a little bit about your work. So tell me a little bit what about what you do and who you work with. Well, I started out as a teacher and by choice, I was a substitute teacher because at the time I didn't know that I had a learning disability for a long time. And then once I got into education, you know, I realized that and su substitute teaching was just a really good fit. Like they would give you what you were teaching and then I could add on to that. But most of the things that I was doing was coaching um, children. So at recess, kids would find me, I'd look for the lonely child, uh, the child that was left out, bullied, or I'd look for the kids that were bullying. And I did a ton of conflict resolution constantly. Like that was my favorite thing to do. Uh, you know, I would be able to resolve things that had been going on for years that, you know, the entire school system, social worker, admin, no one could solve. And I would go in after a day and, and resolve it through conversations and then go back and make sure that I'm month later, two months later, that things were still resolved and they were almost always. So my track record was very high, but I was getting paid poverty line. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Substitute teachers don't make much money. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, um, so it was always really struggling financially and, you know, and I just knew that there had to be a different way. And the most important thing that I was interested in was social emotional learning and, you know, empowering young people. So I had incredible experiences. I still work part-time as a substitute teacher to kind of like maintain being on the list. And I mainly teach kindergarten now because I love it, mm -hmm. but my teacher name for the last, I think it's 13, 14 years has been Miss Rainbow Fairy. And that really is my teacher name. You know, I say Miss Weinstock, but then, you know, immediately I say Miss Rainbow Fairy. So my kids constantly, you know, will be like, hi, Miss Rainbow Fairy. And they'll, <laughs> you know, tell their parents like today, Miss Rainbow Fairy and I like, you know, did hopscotch and she helped me with my picture. And then so parents hear these stories and they've never met me. So oftentimes they think that I'm actually imaginary until they meet me. But uh, yeah, it's... um. That's kind of, um, it evolved into uh, coaching. And then um, my dream, you know, really kind of came through that I wanted to do bullying prevention and speaking. And so I built that business up, but then COVID hit. And so just as it was taking off, you know, my business coach and I said, like, let's get back to the drawing board. And we launched a pilot called Preteen. Um, it was a virtual club and that became international. And then we launched a teen program. And then I started working, you know, individually with more more clients because I'd always been doing that. And, and then I finished my book after a decade. And so that's kind of where we are right now. 
So tell me a little bit about your book and and be who you needed and tell me yeah. about it. What's the point, purpose and the intent of the book? It's I have people that are, you know, if I didn't have a learning disability, I would have been a child psychologist or, you know, something like that. But because of the way that I process information, I wanted to do it through storytelling. And I think that storytelling is actually one of the most powerful ways that humans learn. So Mm -hmm. everything that I share in the book, there are certain strategies and methods like, you know, to me, it's like mind blowing that, you know, people just don't know these things, but like the power imbalance already, like between a child and an adult. So, you know, depending on the child and the age and most children are smaller than us just physically. So having a conversation and being at eye level um, is so, so, so key just to start that, you know, Mm -hmm. trust and that connection. So I do give like tools and strategies within that. A lot of it is the idea to plant seeds of thinking about how to do things differently, you know, how to kind of level the playing field and only pull out, as I say, the adult card when you really need to, because then that's actually when they're going to listen is because you're in it together until there's like a safety issue emotionally or physically. And then you can like really say something and do it in a way that you're not going to get your teen or your child's backup. So it's for teachers, it's for educators and parents. There's a lot of contributors as well. So I have friends, uh, I have a TikTok community. So I have some friends that have way bigger platforms than me. And so there's uh, Kelsey, her her, um, her name is, it's a really funny name, but Big Sexy 81. She's mm-hmm. very tall, lesbian, she's six foot five, you know, was severely blue. Oh, is she the, I think I've seen her. There's like a yeah, real, I'll see if I can very tall, tall lesbian. Tall. Yeah. yeah. I'll yeah. see if I can find <laughs> her here quickly, but um, yeah. So I she got her. Yes, this is, this is her. So she's in the book. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, Rain Dove is also in the book. I don't know if you know them, but um, they're supermodel, first person being signed to, you know, male and female uh, in terms of modeling. So I have a bunch of people, you know, some with large platforms, some, you know, that are fellow teachers, just to kind of contribute different ideas and their own stories within the book. And and the book is all about, you know, talking about my journey of being severely bullied grade one until the end of high school and how I came to do the work that I do, which is, which is why I'm so good at what I do, but also because I really deeply understand it, but also to, um, you know, always with that message of become who you needed and, and come from that place, like reflect on it and then do better, not just accept kind of like the systems of oppression or accept that, you know, things are the way they are, like just to try and make this world better. And especially, you know, for ourselves and the young people in our world. So, are you comfortable talking about the bullying that you experienced? Okay. All right. It's <laughs> not my first to, rodeo. <laughs> yeah. I just want to make sure that yeah, I don't want to re-traumatize you or anything yeah. like that. So no, yeah. you were bullied for t- all of all of school. Yeah. I had, as I say, a couple years off, but like if anybody that has been through bullying knows, like you actually like it, it's basically like you internalize what's happening. So you just keep doing it to yourself. Um, so I'm still on a healing journey. You know, that's that's a continual because bullying is abuse. I wish that more people would say that because it sounds so juvenile, like, oh, bullying, you know, someone like, you know, poked your arm or something. It's not like that. It's complex trauma. And so, you know, a lot of people that work in school systems don't even see 
see it that way. Parents don't always see it that way. So unless you've been through it, it's really hard to understand um, the depth of it. Mr. Rogers in the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor, which is everybody's homework to see. I always say it's the, like one of the best movies I've ever seen. It should Great. be just, It's a really oh, good documentary. It's just amazing. He's such a gentleman. Oh, he's amazing. I mean, um, someone nominated me this year for, for one of the awards for the Institute. So we'll see. But um, he talked about how one of the most violent things you can do to somebody is to turn them against themselves. And that is because then you live with like, you know, in, inside your own hell. So yeah, when I had my years off, I still was like so deeply insecure and just, you know, very like filled with self-hatred and insecurities. And, you know, that unfortunately, you know, just kind of like you go through this and then you recreate it. You don't mean to, and you don't have someone to empower you. So like your, your empowerment gets pulled out of you. Your truth gets pulled out of you. And, and it's really difficult. It's really, really difficult. So did you, I'm just curious. Um, and you're right. Parents and teachers often don't respond to it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I don't know how usually like yeah, that's the main right, thing. Right. Other, yeah. yeah. It's much more deeper than stop doing that. <laughs> You know, to somebody, you know, to the bullier. Were you one of the were you a kid who told your mom and dad or did you not talk about it with them? And how did they how did they respond to it? Yeah, I definitely told Um, I have amazing parents and they loved me very much. But, you know, like. I mean, now we've taken steps, but we still haven't taken enough. Like we have posters in schools to say no bullying or zero tolerance. We still have kids that are, you know, I mean, oh yeah. Yeah. So like we've we've come towards like some more understanding and like, you know, the words are more kind of like in our everyday use. I told my parents and, uh, you know, they tried and they came from their own stories. That's like, you know, they talk about it in the book. You know, they went to my, in, in grade seven, they went to my uh, principal who was an awful woman. Um, she should never have been working with children. Just horrible. Just, I, I was always understanding, like I always understood about energy and kind of like who people were. Kids are truth tellers. So I, I always knew like, she is not a nice person. She is not happy. She's mean and she shouldn't be in this position. So her response after, you know, my parents went and said, you know, this like a whole group, the, all the boys in, in the grade were bullying me and I was having a horrible time. Uh, she said, well, boys will be boys. And so that was her response. So I think my parents like really felt well, they can't do anything if the admin's not doing anything. So I left the school and I went to public school and that's when things got really bad. So, um, yeah, I did tell. Eventually, I just stopped telling because uh, it didn't seem like anybody was able to do anything. So in the book I talk about and actually on the book cover, there's tiny little stars. And that's me as a little kid in the 80s, like wishing with magic. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I used to um, I used to cry myself to sleep and I would wish on the stars to grow up and become who I needed. I just that's how I kept myself alive, really, is just like it has to be different and I'm going to be part of the change. And so that's that's kind of kept me going. And the fact that I had a really loving family and I had some friends, I just was being constantly targeted and abused, you know, so, yeah. Well, how unfortunate I am. I, I am. It's heartbreaking to hear that happened to little kids. I wish to say that it was over now for kids, but it's not. People always, you know, so many of my clients, so many of the people that I have on this show also talk about mm-hmm. bullying because a lot of them were queer. And so they experience it. You know, there's queer people that have glass closets like, you know, it's like somebody, you know, is queer from the time there. My wife has a glass closet right. um, like she's just somebody look at her. You know, she's gay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. 
yeah. you know? And so, so I, I don't think she got bullied when she was, she was very straight up hearing when she was younger, but it, it's, it's really interesting how, like, I've never really reflected on it for myself until really just recently about like, I was bullied a lot because I was a really sensitive little girl mm. and I got bullied a lot. And it's almost like when the bullies know you're a sensitive little kid, mm-hmm. they actually go after you more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's not just boys. Girls can be mean oh, girls. Can be real. <laughs> yeah, they can be mean. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just for me, it school was safe mm-hmm. because inside the classroom, I excelled and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the playground was always not my favorite place. And I wasn't athletic either. So kids yeah. that are athletic, they can often sort of survive. Yeah. I don't know how we can make it better. You know, I, I really don't, you know, lots, lots and lots of ways. So, um, yeah. you know, my book talks about some of them, but you know, all my content is about thinking about this. My partner too, um, you know, had a lot of abuse in their life and they excelled at sports and they're gifted. They're also on the autism spectrum. So for them, they, they were very straight appearance, like, you know, up until, uh, they came out as a gender and non-binary, um, a year ago. And so now kind of being very, queer looking and under the trans umbrella, you know, it's definitely interesting to, for me to experience they're my most, um, yeah, like non-binary partner that I've had in terms of, of their appearance. And so we experience, you know, on the daily, like I make sure that they're safe in the bathroom to like not be like dealing with any kind of abuse there. And uh, just like wherever we go, microaggressions, like we can feel, I'm definitely feeling and they're feeling because they had total privilege before in terms of being, you know, straight, white looking, presenting person. And so this experience of being non-binary is really opening up their eyes and we're understanding a lot more sadly because obviously like these these horrific systems shouldn't shouldn't be the way that they are and so there's a lot we can do there's a lot um i really understand that because i was married to a man for a really long time for 27 years and now i'm married to a woman mm. and i don't have straight privilege anymore yeah and it, I, like so for somebody who had it for mo- the majority of my life i really i feel like it's almost my superpower because yeah. I can really tell the difference. Like, like, and I'll give you an example. My wife and I went shopping for my daughter what got married, my eldest. And um, we went shopping for clothes and they are friendly at that store. We go there. They're friendly, but not overly friendly. Like, and like my wife doesn't n- notice the difference because mm-hmm. she has, she's been an out queer woman in, in the South since 1985. So mm-hmm. she's really, really you know, used to that. And I was telling her, and then like I ended up going back and doing something and they were friendly. And I started talking about my daughter getting married. And if I was perceived to be a straight woman, they would have treated the conversation so differently. Mm-hmm. They were polite, mm-hmm. they were professional, mm-hmm. but they treated me differently than if I was married to a man. And the thing is, is that if you've always been treated that way, you don't notice the difference, you know? So it's really interesting to have that perspective of Mm -hmm. like, and it is what it is. I mean, I'm still happier and, you know, but it's too bad. It truly is that people get treated differently. So what are some of the things that people can do? 
Well, okay. So if you are a teacher, you know, the more that you humanize yourself and talk about things. So as a substitute teacher, I always go in, I talk about, you know, that I have cats. I tell them their names because kids love animals. That's, you know, one of the, one of the places that they learn unconditional love. So get really excited about knowing that I have cats. Um, You know, I use this like quirky Miss Rainbow Fairy name. So they get really excited about that. And I, listen to them and I believe them. So at recess time, like you're talking about with yourself, I would have been, you know, I am, I'm always on the playground. I always have like so many kids by me. I'm looking for the kids to check in with them. So I just embody a safe space. I care. I listen, you know, I've learned how to do nonviolent communication. I've learned how to deescalate. So I've done things in my life to train myself and like learn how to do these things. And storytelling, you know, like, so if you were a teacher talking about, you know, when I was little, I was really sensitive and it was really hard for me because people picked on me in the playground. If that ever happens to you, you can always come to, you know, Miss Anne-Marie, like, you know, whatever, like you you tell them, you tell them, you humanize things. I also use a ton of humor. So I'll give you an example. So uh, this wasn't uh, like, I'm always with this kind of coaching teaching hat. I was at my niece's uh, birthday party and it was a huge event. There were so many kids there. And they have a swing set. So they were fighting over who got the longest time on the swing set. And it was getting really heated. So I went and, you know, we were, I was, you know, kneeling down. So I'm at eye level and I was talking through, okay, well, this person is going to get this time. And then this person the equal time. And so they were fighting and pushing back against it. And so I gave them the sentence. Okay. How about you say, I'm very sorry, Ruby, for not giving you the amount of time. I would love to give you the time then now. Right. And then so she's like, I'm very sorry, Ruby. And I was like, "Mm, try that again. And I just use a lot of humor. I was like, it could look like my dear friend, Ruby. And, you know, and I just it's a pattern interrupt, but I use so much humor. Kids that have like students, like past students that I used to work with in kindergarten, now they're in grade eight or high school, whatever. They'll seek me out through social media or I'll see them, you know, at a different school. And they, the thing that they remember the most is I made them feel safe and uh, that I was funny. They'll always say you were funny, you know? So that's like, you know, in terms of teaching and then just learning, right. Learning about um, anti-racism work, um, learning about, you know, like what What's happening in the world? How can you be better ally, a safer space? You know, how does your stuff play in on it? If you make a mistake, say sorry. Like there's one story in the book where this child, their religion, like I was just thrown into this class as you are as a substitute teacher. No kind of like, hey, this child is this religion and they won't be standing up for O Canada. So, you know, I walk in and they're sitting and I think immediately with my teacher brain, they're testing me and this is going to make it so that it's going to be a bad, you know, behavioral situation. So I said, could you please stand up? And they refused. And I said, stand up now, you know, because I I thought like we need to actually make sure that, you know, there's respect. That is a big thing for me. And they just start like tears streaming. And I was like, oh, my God, I made a mistake. I don't know what. Then I asked. And that child was so upset they couldn't speak because they were frozen. So another child said, miss, he's actually um, his religion doesn't allow him to stand up. And so I said, I am so, so very sorry. And we had a whole conversation about how proud I was of the girl that said that for him how he could always tell me if I ever forgot. And if there are other teachers that they would help as a class to tell the other teacher so that they knew. Then I went to the teacher and said, you always have to write that on like, you know, notes so that nobody misunderstands because that's an easy mistake. So they all said that they were surprised that I said, sorry, because I'm an adult. So 
children don't hear that enough. We don't humanize ourselves as adults to them. So learning about power imbalance between, you know, the power structure between a child and we don't talk about it enough, like adults and children and the, the power imbalance. So that's one thing. And then as a parent, don't just ask how your child's day was because they will say good or fine. And if you were asked that question, you would say good or fine as well. Ask a highlight, ask what was a difficult thing, like, you know, do things where you're like, hey, do you want to like have like a mummy daughter date or, you know, like, let's go out. Where would you like to go? And then while you're kind of like side by side doing something, start sharing things like equally. Right. And always believe your child. And the biggest thing I would say is if they're saying they're being bullied or they're, you know, being excluded in their friend group, don't stop at when the teacher says, oh, we can't do anything. We're trying or the vice principal or, you know, just keep pushing higher and higher. I have clients that, you know, got nowhere with like pushing. And so they eventually took it with the child's permission to social media and post it. This is what's happening. And all of a sudden, then the school board starts changing their, their tune. Then the school starts to all of a sudden, it's like, you shouldn't ever have to get that point. We know absolutely not. Yeah, Yeah. We need to believe kids. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about your coaching clients and who do you work with? So I work with preteens and teens. However, people like will hear about my work and be like, can I tell you that my child's a bit younger? So I do have some younger clients and some older clients, but mainly preteens and teens. They, a lot of them, I mean, you know, we... Yeah, they come by referral. We have Facebook ads running. Um, You know, I've been doing this work for a really long time. But the biggest thing that I get told from my clients, because oftentimes they're coming out of the mental health system. And when they come to me, you know, like I have so much, so many positive things to say about all the people within the system. And a lot of the young people that have been in that system that come to work with me in coaching talk about how it's different with me because I really get it because I really care. And because there's actionable steps. So I really focus on like, yes, what's happened, but now how can we take the steps? So, you know, I have newsletters that go out and like the most recent thing that I was writing about is about hygiene and how a lot of young people struggle because of, you know, trauma sadness, depression, whatever in like regular hygiene, you know? And so there's a Mm -hmm. lot of fights with the family, like you need to shower. And then they're like, I don't want to. And then there's, you know, but that neutral space of coaching, as you know, creates that space where they can kind of unpack it and be like, uh, this is why I'm not doing it. And this is how we can get to that. And so then the parents are like, how did you do that, Rachel? Like we said the same thing. And a lot of it is just having that neutral space and listening. I'm really listening to their tone, their body language, how they're speaking um, about themselves, things like that. And yeah, I mean, I've come, you know, some of the young people that have come to me have been in the system for a long time with mental health and, you know, had had suicide attempts and then are able to transform their lives just by having these conversations and looking at what do they need to change and reflect on what do they need? Like, what do they actually need? That's Mm -hmm. really focus on. Mm -hmm. So what's the biggest challenge in your business? Well, like currently, Mm -hmm. So currently, because the book launch was, I self-published and I had a team of 12 people took it like super seriously, like cut no corners. And so this book, like it was such an amazing launch, you know, it's become an Amazon bestseller, but it was such a big, big focus that I put everything kind of on pause. Like it was still coaching, but other things were kind of on pause. And then once things have kind of settled, I was like, oh, I actually need to get back to, you know, expanding on Facebook ads, doing all these things. So that's really, it's not the chat. Like, it, yeah, I guess it's the challenge. Like we're just kind of like making the funnel really like, you know, cleaning it up, making sure that things are going out. We've started expanding into the UK. So 
yeah, that's the focus right now. That's the challenge is just kind of like getting back into it. Well, there's only one of you. <laughs> yeah, there's only one of me. I yeah. know there's only one of me. Yeah. Well, and it and it's it's like when you put your attention towards something else, it's hard to do the attention of getting your business, getting consistent business. Because yeah. a lot of times with the coaching work, I have met some amazing coaches that offer amazing things, but getting client, getting the word out is probably the hardest part about being a coach. Like all of us, I know the coaches that I work with and the, we just really want to just show up and do our thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the the whole other part of the marketing and the all that stuff like yeah. that because that's hard for coaches yes. it really yes. is heart-centered people often have a hard time with sales and marketing it's just not something that we are comfortable doing and so sometimes it just takes a while and it, I, I find that community helps having other people that you can talk to about it and stuff like that it really really helps what are you most proud of well, it's funny because you're saying sales and marketing and it's I, I actually my first degree is in visual arts. So I love um, pictures and storytelling and yeah, just different things like that. And I guess like one of the things that, you know, because my partner and I, they have incredible skill set as, you know, business coach and they do all these different things. So we work together. They're on my team as well. And I transformed how I did these discovery calls. And, you know, I had a lot of resistance. Like I used to do the discovery call where I would meet the parent first, then I meet the other parent sometimes, then I have the child, then I oh, so take that. forever. <laughs> well, and I did that for years. So it was like, you know, five to six hours, you know, and so that was really challenging because sometimes people would enroll, sometimes they wouldn't. But, you know, my whole team said like, you really need to compact this because it was starting to really drain me because it would just be so many hours for one person before I'd actually be able to coach them. So I had a lot of resistance, but when my team says like, do something, I do it. So we practice practiced on how to do um, something all together. And so these discovery calls, I actually love them because yeah, I mean, always um, they're on the phone. That's the first call, but the child will start crying. The parents will get emotional, you know, and there's such like a bond and love on that first call. So for me, like I grew up thinking that business was like really sleazy and like non-consensual. Like I felt like it was like that image of the car salesman that's like not pushing you. That's how mm-hmm. I thought. And I was, I was like, that is not me. I'm so, you know, into authenticity and integrity. And so I'm proud of the way I do the work that I do actually, like in terms of, you know, the, I guess, you know, like the term is sales and marketing, but I'm proud of how I do it because it's with so much heart. The hard part is all the like, you know, technical things for me of like the funnel and the connection and the website and whatever that is not fun. So yeah, (laughs) you need a good VA for that one that can do all that for you because it's interesting. I'm a big believer in websites. I know a lot of people don't do websites anymore. I think it's really, I've Personally, I think it's really foolish to build your business on a social media platform that could get shut down like that. Like, for example, what we've just seen with Twitter or or, you know, someone buys the platform that you're not aligned with at all or Mm -hmm. they you some somebody reports your account and all of a sudden you're frozen and you can't do business that day. So I'm a really big believer in websites because it's nice to have some place to send people. Yeah. And also I blog. So blogging has really helped my business a lot. What was really interesting, I'm a, you know, I'm also a big believer in, I built my first website, like a lot of entrepreneurs, um, because, you know, I could, but they make it easy to build it. 
you can have a website, but no one's going to find it. And so after a year of trying to learn SEO, which that's just my brain doesn't work that way. After a year of trying to do that, I said, I'm going to hire somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have learned like now to when I if something like when I'm like, oh, I've got to do this today. And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't want to do this today. Mm-hmm. I've learned to be able to give that to other people. Yes. The people who like to do those things. Yes. There are people that love the tech stuff yes. and love like tech problems and they're like, oh, I can figure this out. And I'm yes. like, kill me, kill me. Yeah. I don't want to do yeah. That. So I understand. Mm-hmm. I guess my last question for you would be, what would be your one piece of advice for someone who is thinking about coaching children specifically? Well, I mean, it just always goes back to be who you needed. So uh, that is like, start with the place of like, who did you need when you were younger? Like get in touch with your inner child and think about it. And if you had a life that was very privileged and privileged in that, like you are, you know, not neurodivergent, you're not like, there's not like, you don't deal with the kind of things that would kind of make it more challenging, being bullied, all, all the things, then you need to actually learn. Like if you, if you didn't go through it, you need to learn. But I feel like everybody as a human has a pain point. So connecting that and then figure out how to connect with young people, like in terms of making them feel safe. So people will say to me, like, I remember, you know, I had one of my greatest honors actually is when teen boys work with me. Like, I always think that's so mind blowing. I mean, I'm very open-minded, but the fact that like teen boys will like trust me, they'll tell me like, you're the only person that I can really open up to or, or talk to. But sometimes parents will say before the call, my son never talks, like he won't open up to you. And I'm like, okay, that's totally fine. Like, we'll see what happens. And then like an hour in, they're like, I can't believe I've told you so much. So just really get good at um, sharing, you know, parts of yourself, like opening up, being open, you know, when it connects to their stories and then listening, asking a lot of curious questions and listening um, and just really caring like that. You know, people can feel when you care. If you don't care, then it's not going to work. So care about what you're doing. Well, and I'm going to assume that most people that are going into coaching children already check all those boxes. I really hope so. <laughs> yeah. So I want to then I'm going to do a follow up. I yeah, don't sure. usually do this. OK, you've checked all the boxes, Rachel. Amazing. You've checked all the boxes. What's your next piece of advice about the business of coaching children? Okay. So like setting up your business. Yes. Um, OK. So I like my like pathway was not linear. As, nobody's like, nobody's coaching pathway. No, I know. Uh, you're right. Nobody you're does right. it linear. It's like, yeah, there, you know, I always say that, you know, the coach that tells you make this one post and you'll make $50,000 this month. That's not going to happen. I'm, I'm really dead serious about that. You know, it is not a linear path. It's definitely yeah. an up and down path. Yeah. 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 It's so hard because exactly like there's no kind of like formula. Like I can give you kind of like the touch points that I went through. I did my training and then, and then I did a lot of just like practicing with supply teaching, like a substitute teaching, like, you know, talking to young people, but then, okay. So I have a dream book. It's back here, actually. They're called paper bling, but it's, I went through a really difficult breakup and I got this like gorgeous book. It was blank inside and I glued a lot of stuff in here 
or two. Anyways, I got this book and I was like, what am I going to do with it? And I started writing down all my ideas, everything like speaking, coaching, like workshop is, workshops in schools, writing a book, all those things. And I, and I got it in May, 2014. I've accomplished almost everything that I did in there. So, and that's actually one of the things that my partner talks about. Uh, they do time tracking. So taking your ideas and writing it down, that's one thing you have to exactly like you said, invest in people that are going to actually do it, but do it well. Right. Cause I feel like a lot of people, my book, I didn't cut any corners and sometimes you just can't like, sometimes you actually have to cut corners, but if you can invest in the right people. So the thing that transformed my life completely was my business coach, because I being neurodivergent, didn't know how to do a funnel. Didn't know, like he's a jack of all trades and he's, he's, like I call him hashtag Dave, the dream maker. So he did all the pieces where I'd say, this is what I want to do. What do you think? And then he would give me, okay, let's do this. Let's do that. Facebook ads, you know, that's one of the ways that kind of expands my reach. So I invest in that. And then I'm growing through more families finding out about me. And then of course, when I work with them, they're like, wow, you're amazing. Then they refer people. And then, I mean, there's, there's small pieces, but I always have my background on my bookshelf. Like that is kind of like my little office. So, you know, when the kids come on, they see that that's familiar. It's always kind of like a nice welcoming place. So be intentional about that. I found a system that works. So all these binders are filled with uh, notes like of past clients, current clients, then I, you know, categorize that. What else do I do? You know, I've started finally splitting kind of money that comes in where I have the business account. And then I like use that for expenses and things like that. And then I have other money going other places. Really, it's about building a team. And I would say like getting really honest with what is your skill set and what are you challenged in? For me, it was scary to say numbers more than $25 an hour because I'd only been a babysitter and a teacher. And so you don't have to say numbers. So I would sing the numbers that I was going to say to practice getting myself used to it. I would, before I would do calls with potential clients, I would sit there and kind of like listen to podcasts that lift me up, sage myself, you know, really visualize what I wanted. I, I listened to a lot of Jen Sincero, you are a badass and you're a badass at making money. So I thought about that a lot. And then you try things, you try and you see. And you trust yourself, right? So like one of the things that I told my coach, even though I had a coaching background, I said, I don't know, like, what if I sit on this call and they're not saying anything? And it's like, well, you sit in the uncomfortable silence or you think of another question. And many years later, I don't have an issue with that. But, you know, you you go through... Like you, one of the strategies that I've done is I say the fear, like, I'm really afraid of doing this new way of doing the discovery call, or I'm really afraid and I'm going to do it. So you like say the hard thing, and you admit, like, I don't believe in just like kind of steamrolling it. You know, you say what it is and then you do it. But yeah, outsourcing what you can't do, figuring out ways, choosing people that you can really trust, finding systems that work for you, and then continually taking the brave steps and, and staying focused. Um, the newest thing, like you said about the website, we're doing newsletters that are going out regularly and, and are really like story-based and authentic to really grow that community. Because yeah, I have a platform on TikTok, you know, I think it's at like 20, 22,000, but I don't have many of those people's contact info. Like it's most of them are just kind of a smaller list of 2000 people right now on the newsletter, but making that a really like beautiful community that I'm active in really really helps to grow what you're doing and get the word out. So I hope that was like, I'm trying to think of all the different aspects, but 
Well, you did a great job. Thank you. That was a lot of information. So thank you. So how do people find you, Rachel? Well, right now we're fixing my website. So my website is like in the process of being fixed again, but it's rachelweinstock.com. So, you know, you can link it in the, in the, um, below. I have a TikTok community, Rachel Weinstock, I think is underscore for TikTok. And then the same thing for Instagram. But honestly, I've been putting out content for years. So if you type in my name in Google, you will come up with like a top. (laughs) It's like, I'm like, I, there's like a singer. That's not me. Um, there's a singer that's Rachel Weinstock. And then there's like all my stuff. You just look for the big curly hair. So, (laughs) well, thank you so much. And Rachel, it was delightful to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. You've been listening to Queer Business Success, the podcast that highlights LGBTQIA businesses. New episodes are published regularly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other listening platforms. Wherever you're listening, take a moment to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Are you an entrepreneur who's also queer? Want to share some of your wisdom and experience with the rest of us? We'd love to have you on the show. Just click the link in the show notes to apply to be a guest. Until next time, queer friends and allies, keep taking care of business.